Have you ever been lost? Whether out in the woods, maybe you have to think back to when you were little in a store, you couldn't find your parents. Or out in the wide open country roads, maybe in a big city with its overwhelming concrete. Or in a foreign land, and you don't even know how to ask for directions. Well, it's not a good feeling being lost. But have you ever been lost to the point where you just give up hope of being found? Now, personally, I'm on the other side of it. Usually I lose things and I give, hope, give up hope of ever finding them because I don't know where I put them. I have a knack for putting things in strange places. My wife's favorite is when I put the checkbook under the sink after using it to smash a spider down there. And I just left it there. <laughs> Spider and all, okay? And then, where's the checkbook? <laughs> of course, under the sink, right? Makes sense. This is who you're listening to this morning. <laughs> now you're listening to God's word, thanks be to God. Okay, so, but in a serious turn, I have witnessed others losing hope of finding their loved ones, personally. That is a difficult thing to see. About 13 years ago, in August of 2010, you remember the Chilean miners, or the miners in Chile, or right? That story, their story was retold in a book called, um, oh, I get it mixed up all the time, Deep Down Dark. I always want to say Deep Dark Down. But Deep Down Dark. And it retells kind of what they went through for nearly 70 days being under the earth, trapped in a mine. Their psychological, their spiritual reactions to all of this. And then it goes into a little bit of, well, what have they done with this new lease on life? Hmm. Time really becomes the main issue with any sort of rescue effort. And they had a lot of time under the earth to think, to have hope, or to lose it. It's tragic when rescue turns to recovery. We don't want the searching to stop because that really means that hope has stopped. In the Old Testament, what situation do we find the Israelites in? Is it one of hope or despair? You see, they're not just turned around lost and that they're just going to find their way back to the land of Judah soon. Oh, if we just follow this river up, maybe some Syrian will give us some nice directions at that outpost. No, they are taken away from their land. So are they hopeful to return? If so, why? They've been there for a while. They're despairing, maybe. If so, why? And all of this is hypothetical. Not that it's not going to happen, but Isaiah is writing 150 years before the events that he's describing take place. The situation that he's speaking to is off in almost, you know, it's a century and a half down the road. But they're going to be there in Babylon. Have they read Isaiah yet or not? So will they have hope when they are off in Babylon? 
Well, when we look at what's happened to them, they were warned about their idolatry. We just heard Isaiah had warned them 150 years prior, hey, this is what's coming if you all don't change. This is what's going to happen. And by the way, you ain't going to change, and it is going to happen, right? You are heading into a bad and a dangerous place. Siege is coming with all of its terror. Disaster is coming, tragedy upon tragedy, divine judgment against sin is nothing to just say, oh yeah, 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 we know about that. That never really happens though. It did happen. Their temple was destroyed. Now how are you going to react to all of those things surrounding you in the news reports in the Jerusalem Gazette? Right? Will God do anything? Well, the temple's destroyed. We're surrounded. If God's going to do something, wouldn't he protected his residential palace? Can he do anything against these Babylons? Maybe they're stronger than us. Isn't it the the temptation then? Are there gods stronger than our God? If God could have helped, wouldn't he have helped by now? Why is he taking so long? Doesn't he realize in a rescue effort, time is of the essence? These Jews would be carried off to Babylon, utterly defeated, not only by Babylon, but by God's divine judgment through Babylon upon them. They see the enemy winning, even conquering the world. So, how's their hope doing? What's the hope meter looking like? The outsiders, well, we might include ourselves in outsiders because we're not really there in Babylon in the 6th century BC. We might look back and say, well, you deserved it. Didn't you hear what God said? He sent preacher after preacher and, you know, you got what's coming. Or, Do the outsiders say, your God can't and he won't do a thing to help those outsiders who are blasphemous? But if you're an insider, put yourself in their shoes, sitting by Babylon's walls, by her rivers. How would you feel? What would you think? What of your faith? How deep down dark are you buried by your enemies? Well, okay, this has been a fun hypothetical game about 6th century BC events, but how do you react in your life right now? What happens when you're lost and not just you got to go to Google Maps and type in a thing and it keeps autocorrecting and it's frustrating? Oh, perish the thought. You were delayed a minute or two, right? The thing told us to turn left and right, and then the dreaded U-turn direction, right? No. What happens when you're lost? And I mean disoriented by the events of life. Afraid and helpless to do anything about it. You know what you want. You know what you've prayed for. But you're not the one calling the shots. With hope and rescue, again, time remains the big issue. The hard part is is that God is in control of the timing. 
If we look to ourselves saying, hey, just give us more time, we'll find our way out of this mess, we'll find the solution, we'll find the answer, we'll do the right thing, we'll just be lost in circles, overcome by the world and its prince. Or when we find ourselves disoriented and lost, overwhelmed or just overcome, do we just give up, roll over, make ourselves comfortable in pagan Babylon. We're here anyways, might as well try and fit in. It's a new, it's a terrible place, yes, but, well, we'll learn to thrive here. We'll learn the language, we'll learn the culture, we'll even learn their gods and bow down. Well, you see that it's easy to blame Judah It's easy to point our finger at them and say, Why weren't you better? Why didn't you listen better? Shame on you. But will we not look in the mirror? It's easy to praise Paul then as we look at the epistle reading and say, My goodness, how Paul looked back and he saw God's will perfectly so that even as he's languishing in a Roman prison, he says, you know, I think I'm going to stay around for a while because God's really doing some things for me and through me. Who's going to think that way of us? How do we see God's will, especially when we're lost, disoriented, panicked like a kid who's lost mom or dad in the store? Where's God? Where's he gone? We need him. We need his protection. We need him now. I suppose we cry. We ask for help. We want rescue. Our text, Isaiah 55, has some pretty famous lines in it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We hear that, and I think we're strangely comforted, but at the same time, when we're in the midst of being disoriented, we want God's thoughts to be our thoughts, and we want his ways to be our ways. But that's not what the text says. God's ways aren't our ways, and he doesn't act like we would. And that's actually a good thing, because he's a husband who won't divorce a repeatedly unfaithful wife. He gives a denarius to those he brought in early and to those he brought in at the last hour. He's quite generous with what he has. And he has Paul, his servant, looking back at his own beatings, whippings, shipwrecks, snake bites, old and imprisoned in Rome, waiting to be killed to say, You know, this can and this will advance the gospel. I have certain hope of that. One way we see God's ways in not being ours is when we actually, strangely, here below, mimic his ways. Let me say that again. One way that we see God's ways not being ours is when we mimic his strange ways. Okay, what does this mean? Well... It is kind of crazy when somebody's drowning out at sea to say, 
you know what? Chuck it all. I'm going to go save that person. We see it in redemption, don't we? That somebody willy-nilly makes a crazy decision for their own safety and self-preservation to lay down his or her life for another. Now that smacks of redemption and Christ's sacrifice for us, right? And we say, ah, something, so that person's on to something bigger. He's not playing by the way we self-centered old Adam sinners normally would. Good for him. Good for her. Right? But also, I think we should see this not just only in redemption and sacrifice on display here below, but we should also look to how, we, how revelation happens, how, how it responds is in respect to the incarnation and conversion. Let me tell it this way, maybe. Um, when we have lock-ins here with uh, some of the youth, um, right now our youth are a little bit young for lock-ins, but we got a good pipeline going, right? <laughs> But when we play lock-ins here with the when we have a lock-in here with the youth, usually we play something akin to hide-and-seek, right? And it, there always comes a point where I get to raise my hand and say, I'm going to hide. <laughs> because I know the nooks and crannies that the little kids don't know about. And they'll never find me. The only way they find me is when I jump out to scare them. <laughs> this is a little bit of confession at this point in the sermon, okay? But you can think of it like a kid playing hide-and-seek with his dad. The dad's going to be a better hider. You know, the dad knows where to hide, just where the kid won't look. And the dad will let his kid go by five or six times at least until finally he either starts knocking to give himself away or he does what I would do as both pastor and father, jump out and scare the person, right? Ah, I'm right here, right? You see, the hider has to reveal himself. God must reveal himself to us. You see, these aren't the ways of hide and seek, but it makes for a good, fun, proper game, doesn't it? And it's really how the game is best played between a father and a son. And maybe between a pastor and the youth group, too. God's strange way is this strange, yet, yet I think comprehensible word for you and for me. Seek the Lord. This is the other famous line in the text. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord in his letting himself be found. When God hides, there's no chance of us finding him. A famine of his word and of his revelation is the worst possible thing. Just ask Job on that one. We must take these famous lines of Isaiah 55 together. His ways aren't our ways, and he lets himself be found. Find me in the tabernacle, strange place that that was, but as he's revealed it. Find me in the temple, but then, you know what? Find me there, let my name be ever there, and let that place be destroyed. And let my people be carried off. And I can still act, because I'm not only God in Jerusalem on Zion, but I'm God over in Babylon too. 
and I will bring my people back. And then I'll be silent for 400 years, and they're going to have to find me in some scrolls and do some reading. And then I'll send John the baptizer. And then I, the Son of God, will be born of Mary. My ways aren't your ways, but they're good ways. My ways might be strange to you, but here I am. I was found in the cattle's food dish as a young boy teaching the rabbis in my father's house. I was the rejected miracle worker and prophet. As the king of kings, I suffered under Pontius Pilate. I heard the cries, he saved others, he can't save himself, as I was going about saving others. Can God do anything? If he could, wouldn't he have done it by now? He's done it all. You see, God, our Lord Jesus Christ, he's alive in the cemetery. His ways aren't our ways. Neither are his thoughts our thoughts. God brings light and hope to the despairing. He lets himself be found in lowly means like word and sacrament to forgive sins, to bring hope of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So, you, whether you've been baptized and believing since infancy or called by his word later in life, we lead lives as those who have been found and rescued. Not only a new lease on life to just not use for our own selfish, sinful ways, but ever grateful lives, happy to help others, to show them who God is, what he has done, and where he is to be found. You know where to find God. Let others find him too. In Jesus' name, amen.